Wow, now is that a good morning so far? Oh my. Wowzer, this is going to be a tear-filled month in a good way. Wow, the Lord's at work. Love that song. Love all those songs. I forgot we were going to be doing songs from the past. And uh, thank you, Nick, and worship team for that. Um, That last song, uh, Christ Exalted Over All. Uh, We sing your praise. We lift your name, Jesus, over all. As we've been talking, it is indeed about a doxology thing. It is indeed about a doxology thing, the worship of the Lord. Please open your Bibles to Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. And it is time for God's people to meet with God. Uh, What a pinnacle point it is at this point in time in Scripture in Exodus 19. Um, and what a special time it is for us uh, here. And again, if you're visiting with us, uh, sorry for us being so excited. No, no, not. No, God's been amazing. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Uh, I want to kind of let you know what's going on here, all of us, for these next five Sundays. Actually, I'm taking this, talking about through Easter Sunday as well. Uh, I'm going to be preaching sermons from various times, uh, various sermon series over the last 10 years. By the way, thank you for a number of you who provided input to me on that, uh, email input. I appreciate that. Um, I I want for you to know I've selected all narrative passages. 70% of the Bible is narrative. 70% of the Bible is story of real people in real times going through real situations. Why, Doug, did you pick all narratives? For a few reasons, uh, just so you're aware. One, an anniversary is all about a narrative. It's all about a story of real people. Also, our theme is a narrative. Uh, What God has done. That's a narrative reality of what God does. We've also just come out of our three W series, uh, Worship Christ, Walk with Christ, Work for the Glory of Christ. And that is a narrative reality. That's to be lived out in real life in a narrative, in real story. Uh, And also, I love narrative. I love story from Scripture. And when I say story, I'm not talking about like fake stories. I'm talking about real people, real times, real situations, real God at work in those. And I love those. So uh, what a joy. I'll just tell you what a joy for me to be able to preach uh, these uh, five narratives over these coming five Sundays, including today. Uh, Today is Exodus 19. Uh, All of these do have a bit of a moving theme to them. Uh, Exodus 19, this is what God has done, and he is behind it all. By the way, next Sunday is going to be Joshua 3, and he is in front of it all uh, as we continue. Uh, Both texts this Sunday and next Sunday contain a bit of an idea of pausing, a bit of stop, consider, hold, see. And uh, so we're going to be doing that together. Well, let me begin uh, kind of moving into Exodus 19 with a a bit of a summary of the story leading, the narrative leading up to Exodus 19. And it begins in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. And God created all things. And the end of Genesis 1, and he looked and all of it was good. It was very good with that. Uh, Adam and Eve were created uh, in an abiding relationship with the Godhead, and and it's out of that relationship that they're directed by God to multiply, fill, and steward the earth, as we saw in Genesis 1. And the Lord wants more like them, more image-carrying bearers in perfect relationship with him filling the earth. Yet God wanted more like them, but Adam and Eve wanted more than God. Uh, was providing to them. And so their lust for more uh, leads to their sin of, and separation from God. Uh, but the multiply, fill, and steward the earth was a continued call on them by God's grace with that. And so they begin to do that outside of Eden, but one of the sad parts is sin begins to multiply as well in all of that. Uh, as a result, God selects Noah and uh, God selects Noah to spare a human remnant from God's coming rightful judgment. Uh, Following the flood, Noah and his family are given the directive as well. uh, Multiply, fill, and steward the earth. And they increase, but unfortunately, again, sin increases as well. 
but our long-suffering God uh, continues in his promises and initiates a covenant with an elderly, childless couple with a purpose to establish a set-apart, unlike nation for God. 25 years later, that nation begins to develop with the birth of one child, Isaac. I mean, it's a big nation right at the moment. Mom and dad and a little baby boy, Isaac. And then we just move on in Scripture, and the narrative moves, and then Jacob comes along, and then narratives moves, and then Joseph comes along. And Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. He ends up in Egypt as a slave. Uh, Decades later, God sovereignly puts Joseph in the position of prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world at the time. Uh, From a unique situation of being a slave to position for God to do a work, I'm telling you, that is the theme that continues to move through Scripture. And following kind of an odd family reunion towards the end of Genesis, uh, Joseph relocates his family to Egypt. And might I say in our terms as we're kind of talking about pre-launch today, uh, there was a, a launch team of about 75 that moved to Egypt who had no idea what God might do with them. Over the next 400 years, that launch team multiplies into about 2 million Hebrews, but there are 2 million slaves under the control of a dictator, uh, Pharaoh. And at this point, and you reading through the story of God's word, you might be asking the question, does God really know what he's doing? Is God really wanting even to take this anywhere, or is he just making this up as he goes along? What could God do with 2 million slaves? God begins uh, answering those questions by floating a baby boy directly into Pharaoh's home. And for 40 years, that baby boy is raised. What God does is beyond understanding. He's raised to eventually be a world leader. But at about 40, he, uh, through a situation, decides to leave the uh, privilege of Egyptian home is Pharaoh's son and heads to a desert existence. You fast forward another 40 years and he's 80 years old and he's walking his sheep as a nomad in the desert. He's in the Sinai area and unexpectedly God shows up at Sinai and God tells Moses of a plan that he has for him to bring some 2 million Hebrews out of, who are slaves out of Egypt in order to meet the Lord where Moses was meeting with God right about at that time. Moses isn't so positive about God's new career opportunity that he has for him. He pushes back on God. God presses back on Moses and promises his very presence and power if Moses will just go. God also provides Moses with a Hebrew brother, Aaron. And at the end, at the end of Exodus 4, excuse me, Moses and Aaron go to Egypt and they meet Pharaoh. They ask Pharaoh to go along with Yahweh's plan and kind of as you would expect, Pharaoh isn't too hep on Yahweh. Um, So 10 plagues later, um, God's shown himself big in Egypt. By the way, not only to the Egyptians, but God has shown himself big to the Hebrews It's very important to understand. And the Lord is miraculously and powerfully brings these two million Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. And God's people are out of Egypt. But hear me on this. Egypt is not out of God's people. The Hebrews are out of Egypt. But Egypt is not out of God's people. So God schools them. Schools them with a life journey in the desert. Providing them with manna, quail, water from a rock. God schools Moses as well as what it is to lead people. After all, he was trained to live as a lay career um, doing that, but a vocational ministry reality he had to learn. God's people, along with Moses, end up walking laps in the desert for some 40 years. But prior to walking those laps, God wants to show himself. Not only does God bring people out, but he brings them out unto himself. That's very important to understand. God is not just trying to show off. God has something more going on. He is wanting to bring a people unto himself and do a work with them that they could never believe could happen. And so Exodus 19, loved ones, 
It's time to meet with God at Sinai. And so, God, I ask, would you show yourself here? Um, You are a redeeming God. You are a bringing out God. You are a bringing unto yourself God. That's so Ephesians 2. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. I just pray in this time, this would be a sweet time with you, celebrating and being reminded of who you are in it all. So show yourself in Christ's name. Amen. So Bible's open. Uh, Exodus 19, verses 1 and 2. Let me start there. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, which day? That day. Uh, They came into the wilderness of Sinai and they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain. Uh, Verse 1, on the third new moon, it's on that day, it's the month of Savan in the the calendar at the time. It was late May, early June, just to kind of give you an idea of the time of what's happening. There, in verse 2, there's some, about some two million former slaves who only knew slavery. That's really important to understand here. The only thing these people knew was, was being a slave in Egypt. In fact, they only knew parents that knew of slavery, and they only knew of grandparents that knew of slavery, and they only knew of great-grandparents that only knew of slavery. This was in their DNA, if you will. This is all that they knew what it was to be slaves. And so they come out, they camp, and they camp in Sinai. And here you can see a satellite image here, and Egypt is over up in this top left corner, and they're coming out, and Sinai is down in kind of this peninsula area here. Uh, down in that, you can see some of the, the mountain area in it. it it's, it's beautiful for camping, not with it. But they're in that area, verse 3 and 4. While Moses went up to God, uh, the, by the way, through the whole text here, there's this up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, Moses is functioning as a physical representative intercessor. Uh, He's standing in the gap, if you will. I think in the whole movement of it, God is using Moses in this up and down ultimately to show what God's people are supposed to be to the world kind of the representatives of, the intercessors for, the one that stand in the gap for uh, bringing who God is. Uh, So cool that God would involve someone in this. Just so cool. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, uh, you yourselves, that's emphatic, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. It's kind of that idea of, like, you know, I'm not just talking about some other people that saw, you yourself saw what I did. God reveals himself. And uh, verse, uh, where am I at? Verse four, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I love that. Such an image. God calls Moses. He initiates, God is initiating this conversation. You have seen what I did. And he explains it. I bore you on eagle's wings. Uh, 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 It's power and strength and beauty and with care and in a big God manner. Know this. Everything that has happened up to the point was God was behind it all. God was behind it all. There was not a part of it that any of them could say, you know what, we deserved that, we earned that, we made it happen. None of it. God was the one who did all the work. He was fully behind it all. God knows that, wants his people to remember that. And that's an important thing to do is to remember what God has done because when we remember what God has done, it can catapult us into what God can do. It reminds us of that. And when we forget, we lose who God is and what he has done. And he says, I brought you to myself. That is so cool. God is not just like moving people around uncaring like some big divine dictator. God is a relational God. God is interested in people with him and interacting with him and being used by him in ways for his glory through that. Uh, He wants them to come and not just wander in the desert. He wants them to come at this point, and he wants them to come and be with him, and he wants to show himself to them. So magnificent. 
verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you, it's a conditional statement here, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, therefore, if... It is a conditional thing here. And with the condition on, we'll talk about it in just a second, is there's three things that God is saying, I will do. Uh, this is not earning salvation, understand that. It's not what's going on here. But there is a blessing reality that comes out of. And he lays this on. And here, here's the thing you've got to remember. I, I wonder what former slaves are going to respond to this whole thing. I mean, they're out of captivity. They're, they're out of being slavery. Are they going to hear what God has done, know what God has done? And are they going to respond like, hey, God, this is so awesome. Thank you for bringing me out and uh, all that you did and peace out. Is that what's going to happen? Because it's kind of like, now we can do whatever we want and all the stuff in Egypt we talked about doing, now we get to do it all. And, or is it going to be a response where, oh my word, God, all that you had done and bringing us out of that, like, like I can't, why would you pull us? We're nothing when it comes into the economy of the world, the power of the world. Why would you choose us? We are like the lowlifes on the planet here. Why would you choose us? And yet now you want to do something with us? Are you kidding me, God? We are in on that. There's two options. It is a decision point. God is putting a decision point on the table. I have revealed myself to you. I have shown myself to you. Now I have a question for you. You want to be in with me or you kind of not want to be in with me? It's laid on the table. And this includes an invitation. It's not just like, uh, will you be with me and not with me? But he tells what God will do. Look, I, I will treat you as a treasured possession. I think anybody wants to be able to know that, you know what, someone treats me as a treasured possession. That's kind of a sweet thing, okay? Even us men can say that, right? And yet here, how awesome is it when God says that? Like, I will have a unique view of you, a unique sense of you, a unique emotion to you, a unique love for you, even a, a unique a, a, a relationship with you that is unique and, and that it is the kind of thing to where it's like treasured. You will be treasured by me, God. That's kind of cool. Agreed? Kind of cool. Second thing, you'll be a priestly people, a nation of intercessors to stand in the gap priestly people. You'll be a holy people, a set-apart people, an unlike people. Now, being real, it's interesting when you talk about those three, three things. The first thing, everybody's kind of like, yeah, I want to be treasured by God, but kind of priestly and holy. Honestly, sometimes down deep in us, we're like, that kind of sounds like a boring life because we have this picture of like what it is not. We have this picture of like some monk dude who's like got no life whose life is like a drag. And we kind of have this idea of like, oh, priestly people to God, yeah, treasured, I'll take priestly, ah. you know, uh, unlike a holy people set apart, ah, I'm not so sure about that thing because like there's so many cool things in the world to do. It's just it's one of these things where we get so dorky with this whole thing because we think following God in this kind of a way is dorky. I am here to say it is not dorky, and that's a theological statement. <laughs> In fact, I would suggest this. Consider some new phases of life. When you go from student life, junior high, high school students, college students, and you think of one day being able to be in your own career life, I'm going to tell you that going from student life, whether that's in high school or college, into working life, there's some changes that take place in that, right? There's some added responsibilities. Isn't that true? Okay, and sometimes, you know, in college and high school, you hear about all those responsibilities in that. But I am telling you, it's like it's worth it, right? Because it's like over that... Onto that. In fact, for me, high school, why do they even have high school? I just thought you go to school to be able to play sports afterwards. So it was for, amen. <laughs> and, and then college, why do you have college? Anyway, I'm sorry. For all of you going to school, work hard. 
<laughs> but career life is an exciting reality to it. When I think of about it, when you're living at home or you're living in a dorm and you think about your first apartment, your first home. I remember our first apartment when we were married. Oh my word, that rock. It was like the size of like right here. <laughs> but even to this day, it's sweet and special because that was our place. And we had to actually clean and other things like that. It takes responsibilities. When you think about having a, a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, you have to give some things up. Oh, you do, right? You do because here's the fact of the matter. The person who is single and who then begins to date or gets married, the person who is single and thinks that marriage is just like being single plus a little add-on, you're in trouble. Because life has to change from here to there. A dating relationship is not being single and dating. A dating relationship changes some of the single reality when you're not dating, if that makes sense. Marriage changes life. And if you're trying to be a single married, maybe that's why you're having marriage problems. But this isn't a marriage conference. But life changes. But let me say it this way. You love dating and you love marriage. And you're willing to make some of those changes. Correct? You're willing to make some of those changes because this is awesome. And it's like sometimes you look back and it's like, yeah, I kind of wish. But that's okay. But it's like it's different now. It has to be different now. Same thing with children. Jeepers. Uh, we got married and I realized I was quite a selfish individual. Then we had kids, one of them is here today, and I realized how more selfish I am. But life has to change, doesn't it? It has to change. And here in the text, God is saying, listen, I have pulled you out of slavery, and I have a call for you. I have a call for you that you would be my treasured possession, a priestly people, a holy nation. And are there going to be changes from that? You bet there are. But isn't an awesome thing? You bet it is. Can you imagine being God's people like what he's talking about here? A people that is in a treasured relationship with the Lord to the kind of thing you get to do things for God rather than this lousy slavery thing. I'm telling you, friends, all of this is the gospel wrapped up in a package in Ephesians chapter 2. You were once slaves to sin, but God, in his great mercy and love, I just want to champion today this whole idea of following the Lord is not dorky, it is not boring, it is not a waste, it is not legalism, it is awesome. Amen. It is awesome. And God's given him the opportunity, and by the way, he's given you the opportunity as well. Verse 7, so Moses came back down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's cool. Moses comes down from the mountain. He sets it before the leaders who take it on out to the people and it's decision time. Are they in or are they not? God's people all together, they come and they are in. They are in. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. By the way, do you see what's happened here? God has just said, Hey, I have an offer for you. I have an invitation for you. If, 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 if you want to enter into this kind of thing, I, 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 will, I, will, I will see you as a treasured people. I will make you a, a priestly nation, not dorks, but a priestly nation with who God is taking Yahweh to the world. And you will be unlike anyone. Are you in? And they say, we're in. We are so in. 
And then, by the way, God doesn't leave it there. Okay, now here's what you do. No, no, no. The next thing is, is God says, awesome. Here's what I want to do. Here's the deal of it. I want to show you a little bit more of myself. I just want to reveal a little bit more of who I am so that you can kind of hear me in this whole thing. I love that fact. Listen, God knows that we are frail. And God knows that we are physical. And God knows that we are verbal. And God knows that when we see things and we behold things, it has strength. By the way, that's one of the reasons I'm convinced 70% of the Bible is narrative. Because that's the way life is lived. The Bible's not just a textbook. And so here God in that, he's like, I want to show you a little bit more of myself as a result. How much, boy, that doesn't, that just, it's like it would give them a taste. It's like, awesome, we said that we're in, and God wants to show more of himself to us. How encouraging would that be? And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall shall be put to death. Verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Wow, I guess God's serious, huh? Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down to the mountain, down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. Hang in there, ladies. So Moses tells the people and then he goes back up and tells God their response. God knew what was going on. But do you see what's happening here in this? The people are beginning to see this intercessory movement. They understand that there needs to be an intercessor between them and God, if you will. And in the reality of the call of it is God is actually calling them to kind of be a people like that. And yet God is showing the people that he wants to be like that. He is showing that them right there, right in the physical movement of it all through Moses. God replies that his people are now to take a few days to consecrate and prepare themselves. Three things that they're to do. They're to take two days to clean up and wash. Now you may say two days to clean up and wash. That's no big deal. Oh, it's a big deal if you're two million people in the desert. Can you imagine the process for that? I can't even fathom what that would take. You have a family of two, three, four kids, and it's like, hey, hey, we got to clean up? (laughs) There's just a functional task to that with the time of it. But also understand this. In the Old Testament, one of the symbols of cleanliness of preparing the inside is preparing the outside. The physical function carries over into the attitude of what's taking place. While we're cleaning up, there's a reason why we're cleaning up. We're cleaning up to meet God. It's really cool imagery. Also, they're to spend uh, two days to set up boundaries around the mountain. So it's kind of like around the mountain, uh, uh, the Lord has it where it's kind of like, uh, you know, hey, go down and and set a a line up, and there's a point here where I I only want for you to go so far in all of this. Uh, you, You can go to a certain point, but I don't want for you to go all the way along the point. Why would God do that? Well, because... God doesn't want to let them come behind the curtain at Oz. No, I don't think that's what's going on. I actually think functionally God is helping them. Again, we're visible, functional people in a visible, functional world. And there's something about knowing that just don't go there. Not only is it a personal discipline issue, but it's a teaching issue. Because if you step across the line, God says that a death will come upon. There's something in helping people just to understand the holiness of who God is. It's like, you know, sometimes I'll say this. Sometimes you get really concerned about some of the songs and terminologies we use today. Like, God is my BFF or my... Be careful. You know, sometimes uh, talk about, like, Jesus is our boyfriend or something. And I know the scriptures say he's like a friend. I get that. But be careful with it, because he's more than a friend. 
I mean, this is a holy God that the fact of the matter is he is so holy, and we don't even fully understand this. He is so holy that in it all, if we were to look upon him, we would die. Well, I can't even fathom that personally. And so God puts this physical line there. And by the way, it's not so much for God to show off. It's actually protection for us. It's teaching for us. It's part of it is learning. Listen, just don't go there. In fact, chapter 19 through like chapter 31 in Exodus is like, don't do this, don't do that. Then you get to Leviticus. Now that's an exciting book. And you kind of get this idea potentially that God is this incredibly legalistic God, but that is not the case. Listen, God has called people out of slavery and all they have known for decades and decades and generations and generations is slavery in an idolatry world. That's all they know. They have no idea how to live for God and God has just called them to be an unlike people and now a loving God tells them how to be unlike this is actually a very loving thing to do. God's not playing games. God's not doing like the, hey, be unlike, and then you know what? When you mess up, I'll crush you. And then you'll all know. No, God's just like, I want you to be unlike, and here's how I want you to be unlike. And sometimes there are some things we go, I, I, why, why that? Like, I would so be the guy who would be like right here. Like, and I would even be leaning potentially, or actually, I would get the dog to lean, <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm that messed up. Listen, friends, the Lord is not a legalistic boring, annoying God. He is actually showing himself, and he's showing himself even by the standpoint of how far not to go to. And then, by the way, that last statement, do not go near a woman, it's just this idea, listen, two days of no sexual intimacy. Why? Because I want everybody's attention and everybody's emotion on what's about to take place. Hey, God is all about sex and marriage thing. He's all about that. But then there are times where it's like, stop, pause, hold it for a little bit. I want everything going on in you focused on this moment with me right now. Two days to get ready for a third day to meet with God as a people. By the way, if I can just for a second... Might all this have application for us? I just thrown this idea out as I was reading through this text. Might each of us, whether that's be students, adults, couples, singles, parents, are we preparing to meet with God together? Listen, I totally get the Sunday morning thing at times. It's just a rush. But maybe a little bit more preparation for it. So maybe the close out Saturday night, Bible's out on the table with a key, good sleep, and waking to anticipate. We're gonna meet with the Lord together. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, it's the third day. What day is it? They've just been through two days of preparing. They've just been through two days of cleaning and setting a boundary up so no one can cross over so they understand what's going on in all this. There's been two days of everybody's minds and emotions focused on all of this. And here we go, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain.
the whole mountain trembled. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. I mean, can you just imagine being there in all of this? And literally, we couldn't do it, but literally if the ground was shaking right now, would that not like cause you to view God a little differently? Why is God doing this? The show off? No. The Lord is doing this because he wants to do something with some people that is beyond what these people can even fathom or imagine. And the truth of the matter is, is he knows that they don't get it. And that's what's so sweet. And that's why he's doing these things. He's trying to help his people grab a hold of who he is in a deeper, bigger way. And the Lord called to Moses out of the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Isn't that interesting? That means that he crossed the line and he didn't die. Seriously on this, I mean this seriously. I wonder how many others right at that point were stepping back from the line because of everything that just took place or whether some were wondering if they should cross over the line. I don't know, but there is such an image going on here of what's taking place that you have to feel it. You have to imagine it. Because the text is written that way for us to do so. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 21, go down and warn the people. Isn't that interesting? Lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. And let the priests... Leaders of the leaders, eventually that was to be priests of the priests. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord Lord break out against them. Verse 23, and Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Why is God doing some of this? I think he's actually beginning to pass some of the baton. God has set these things and now he's kind of working with Moses here. Hey, hey Moses, here's this. And Moses, well, well, you've already said this. Bam, spot on, buddy. It's exactly right. Hey, come on, come on with me, Moses. Come on with me. Think, don't, don't just be a doer. Don't, 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 don't just do that. Just think with this, process through. And verse 24, and the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So he goes down and he grabs one more, Aaron, his Hebrew brother, and he goes up. Again, the imagery is so cool. Moses went down to the people and told them. We can get so caught up into thinking that living for the Lord is drearysome, unexciting. I got to tell you, that has to be an exciting moment. And I realize every day is not like that. But friends, God has called us to be an unlike people and an unlike God shows him unlike. And it's interesting in that because here, I think we live in a world where actually we live in a world where the world wants to be unlike. We live live in a world where everybody's trying to be unlike everybody else, trying to be their own little unlike kind of a thing. I mean, we have people in this day where they're trying to be hipster, they're trying to be a nerd or a jock, or they're trying to be popular, they're trying to be a hottie, or they're trying to be the next YouTube hit, or you name it. 
And yet it's intriguing that Christians are oftentimes the one who want to be so much like the world, but a little bit of God thrown in there. And God calls us to be the unlike ones. The fact of the matter is we live in a world where everybody wants to be unlike, and we're the ones sometimes that don't want to be unlike. We're called to be unlike the unlike. I don't know if that makes any sense. But we, why are we so afraid of being unliked? I want to tell you, I, I want to be there. I want to be unlike this kind of stuff happening. Bag the career, bag the money, bag the this, bag the that. Hey, that. More of that. More of God at work in and through us. This is God's people meeting with God, seeing his presence, hearing from the Lord, the Lord revealing who he is. And the issue is not, the, the, the issue is not really that fact that God has standards and practices. Of course he does. The issue is do we see that following God's standards and practices are actually an awesome thing? Yes, you will be unlike. Awesome. Be unlike. We've been called to be an unlike people. Not legalistic, unlike. A people who are seeing the Lord, who've been miraculously redeemed out of slavery, brought to the Lord, as you heard in the baptisms with this, called and changed in the Lord that we would be unlike anyone for the Lord's glory. And God wants to reveal himself and use uh, uh, all that he has done to show himself marvelously. And friends, I'm here today just to say this, God has. What God has done to just, the, I mean, there's a lot of people in this room this morning. We were hoping one day that we might have like you. And listen, I'm not into this thing where success in ministry is by the numerics of it, but I've got to also tell you this. Look around. I don't know why and I don't know how, but God has done a work. And I just know this, more of it, more of that. More water splashing around, more people growing in their abiding relationship with the Lord, more people coming to know Christ as their Savior, more fruit coming out of healthy relationships and healthy relationships, more, right? I have no problem saying that. Not for our glory, not for our numerics, not for our bragginess. Oh, shame on us if any of that happens, but for the Lord's glory and the Lord's good and for eternity. More of that, more of that, more of that, and know this, that because God has been in the behind, we can move forward. God has been behind it all, friends, all of it, all of it, all of it. So often in ministries, I came out of about 20 years as a lay person, and I'm on this other side of the fence that is vocational ministry. I just see vocational pastors so often. It's like, what's the thing? Well, what, 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 what's kind of the trick that you're doing? What? How about this? More people craving for Jesus. Amen. How about that? How about just that? And how about we feed that craving? Crave more. Come on, more. Come on, more. More craving for the Lord because I want to tell you, following Jesus is awesome. And seeing what the Lord has done is awesome. And all of us who are in the pre-launch and at the launch period of it, I mean, we have seen things. Am I right? We have seen things. Whoever would have thought And God has been revealing himself, and God has been drawing people, and God has been inviting people, and God is behind it all. Amen. And the big story is all about a big God. Amen. Eleven years ago, God began to call and bring together a people. One lay family invited a few other lay families and 
you had a handful of lay families began to dream and pray and then another handful and another and God was behind it all. And then a pastor had transitioned from lay life to ministry life. He and his wife decided to come on down along with a ministry brother whose wife just had their first child. And she said last night when we were talking, wasn't necessarily so thrilled about the whole idea. But God was behind it all. Ten years ago, as we'll be celebrating next Sunday, God placed that people in an unlike place, in a movie theater. I miss it. Sticky floor and all. (laughs) But God met with them there. And a very normal, rather unimpressive group of people were drawn together by the Lord. There was no technique. There was no thing. Just a sea of people in blue shirts hoping that there would be people without blue shirts. They had no idea what what God might do. They had no idea if anyone would show up. But I can honestly say, if no one else showed up, they wanted God to show up. And he did. And he's been behind it all. And we cannot, dare not forget that. God was behind it all. That's the story. That's our big God. Lord, I am so grateful, oh my word, for so many things here today. And we could continue to go down the list. But the thing that we really need to champion here this morning is you. Because you are the hero of this story. And Father, the reality is whether this was 10 years and we had a hundred people in this room for the entire day, it would still be about you. About a group of individuals who, frankly by their own nature, are slaves. But they have a story of being redeemed out of slavery. Called out, drawn out, miraculously on eagle's wings by the work of Jesus Christ. Individuals who don't just know about that work of the cross in Christ, but individuals who have received that work of Christ and it's changed them. We might say it's changed them such that they would be a treasured people of yours by your grace. Might I also say, it's changed them such they are now called to be, if you will, a priestly people. Intercessors. One standing in the gap, just simply telling their story. And simply telling of their God. And ones that are to be holy. Oh my word, Lord, you know we are not a perfect people. Oh no, this room is not filled with perfect people. Not at all, right folks? Not at all. 
but it is filled with redeemed people who have been by the work of Christ gathered out and brought unto and given a call and who are seeking to be increasingly unlike for your glory. Father, I also realize that in this room this morning there might be some who don't know what it is to be called out of the slavery of sin as Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 talks about. And as later in Ephesians 2, it talks about not by works. Can't work our way out. But only by the grace of the work of God and receiving that gift. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that is not sure. I mean, just not sure for sure. Oh God, would they ask someone what it means to drive the stake in the ground and receive Christ as their Savior and have the known reality of knowledge, of truth, that they are now a saved, treasured person unto the redeeming God who calls them to be a priestly people living unlike. God, thank you for the story of what's happened here. Thank you for the story of Exodus 19. Because for the last time I'll say it, it's all about how you have been behind it all. I pray we walk away from the foot of this mountain increasingly awed by you. Do your thing, God. Go to work. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.